Hi, I'm Sophie Milliken and welcome to this episode of the Ambition Accelerator. Today I'm talking with Katie Leeson, who is Managing Director of Social Chain. Hello, and today I'm joined by Katie Leeson. Katie is MD at Social Chain. Can you tell us a bit about your career history today, Katie, before we get started? Yeah, of course I can. So it's kind of been a bit higgledy-piggledy, I'd say. Um, I did A-levels, I did the traditional educational path, but I didn't do very well in my A-levels. I didn't get the grades that I needed. So originally I wanted to go into journalism and I kind of failed a little bit um, at my A-levels and went through clearing, got on a course that I hadn't even heard of before. My school didn't teach um, media, so I kind of took a bit of a leap of faith and went into media and cultural studies as a university degree and found a real passion for it and a real love for it and a love for advertising that I didn't know I did love before that. And then from there, I started working as a graduate in a media planning and buying agency and um, I was buying press ads so buying press radio and outdoor space did that for a while absolutely loved it proper like like loved getting up for work I just loved it but I got to a point where what I what I call comfy slippers so I got I found that I could do it with my eyes shut and it wasn't a challenge for me anymore and I wanted to learn something more and um, moved to a bigger agency just to try and test myself and stretch myself a little bit more. Did that for a little while, same sort of thing happened. I hit that comfy slippers and I knew that I needed to push myself. And um, there was an opportunity with a new brand and then a magazine had done some sort of update. So I wrote emails to a few brands and one of them misguided the fashion brand actually replied back, we pitched for it and won it as an agency. That then led me into um, moving away from buying press advertising space into the new business and marketing team at Mediacom. And I did that for about four years. It was a, it was a long time and completely different skill set. Didn't have experience in it. Didn't know, really know how to approach it. Um, but I relished the opportunity to learn something new. And in doing that and taking that sort of sideways step, I then learned about how to, um, all the commercials, the contracts, the legal, how to talk to clients, how to engage new business. And then again, I got to that point where I was a bit like I'd reached the sort of ceiling and knew that I didn't know enough about certain areas of marketing. Um, One of those was digital and social chain popped up kind of out of nowhere. So Social Chain is a social media marketing company. It's a publishing house on social, but also an agency. And they, were, they weren't very well known at the time. I think they'd only been going like a year or two. Are they um, based in Manchester? Based in Manchester, yeah. And they are incredibly creative and they were quite disruptive. And they just kind of popped up. And Steve, the founder, started following me on Twitter. And I just messaged him saying oh love your stuff seeing what you've done in Manchester I like it and um yeah start and then they offered me a job of operations director which again was completely alien to me um and from there I was ops director for six months before they asked me to apply for managing director and I've now been there for coming up to four years and is it a comfy pair of slippers yet? Or are you no, God, no, not yet. Those slippers are still, they're still breaking in. 
Well, that's good. That keeps that keeps things interesting, then, doesn't it? Yeah, it's the beauty of social because it changes every day, mm-hmm. and also like just managing people and stuff like that is like, uh, especially in this climate. Yeah, absolutely. Can't get comfy in this. <laughs> no, no, no comfiness. No, that's good. And you mentioned um, to me earlier that you've been involved with running your own podcast. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah. Uh, so my journey I've got a bit of a personal brand that I've built that I was pushed into it wasn't something that I wanted to start Stephen Bartlett if you've seen Stephen he is exceptional his personal brand and then what he talks about he's so articulate and he does a really good job the benefit of that for social changes it brings a lot of new business to the agency because we're seen as thought leaders within the space and as soon as they made me managing director Steve pushed me into doing it as well and I was kicking and screaming not wanting to do it because I didn't really want to put my head above the parapet but I took a bit of time to really figure out what my why was and what my reason for doing it could be because I have to in myself if I'm going to do something it's got to be genuine and it's got to really mean something and help people and what I realized was when they made me managing director I was really struggling with the fact that they made me MD. I'm a young female. I look younger than I am as well, which doesn't help in certain situations. And I think I've always had in the back of my mind that people judge that a little bit. Um, And I also felt like I moved to social chain to learn about digital media, but they've elevated me to a point where everyone should expect me to know everything about a topic. So I really struggled with that. And I started um, seeing a counsellor. So social chain are absolutely incredible on culture and mental health. And we offer um, therapy sessions to staff if they need it. And I started seeing our therapist, Karen. And we started exploring why I was feeling like that and why I couldn't put my hand up in meetings and why I kind of sat back and wasn't really fulfilling. I was getting frustrated with myself because I knew I wasn't living what I wanted to live within the role. and. we realised that my image of what an MD should be was an old man in a grey suit. <laughs> yes. And that's what popped into my head and that's why I wasn't fulfilling that role because in my mind the blocker was I'm not that, I'm not what people expect an MD to be. Mm-hmm. So um, we started exploring it and she said I've got imposter syndrome and I'd never really heard of it before um, but doing some research into it now, there's 70% of successful people actually have imposter syndrome. And so the split between men and women in that is sort of interest. I don't, but I do know that famous people that have also had it, which always surprises people, are Meryl Streep. Wow. Albert Einstein oh as well. So, like, you know you're in good company if you start thinking about those people. Um and also I Google, if you Google image, I don't know if it's changed now because I've not done it in a while, but if you Google image managing director, all the pictures are white men in grey suits. I've heard that, yeah. So, <clears throat> and the first image of a female MD when I looked at it at the time was a Getty image. It wasn't even a real image. So I was not... Files of Google as well. Probably. Yes, yeah. So not only was I thinking I wasn't good enough, because I had this image in my head, society was also telling me that I wasn't right for that role. And then I started going inwards. So I did a lot of work with Karen and I realized that if 70% of people suffer from it, I've got the capacity to be able to get up and talk about it. 
mm. be open and honest and put myself out there and say things that you wouldn't expect a managing director to say because you very rarely get someone you very rarely get a man male md stand up and start talking about their insecurities and their flaws so that was where the personal branding started long-winded answer to that question but that's where the personal branding started i got up on stage and started doing presentations on imposter syndrome the feedback was incredible like more than i could have ever expected people messaging me saying how grateful they were that i'd helped them with their understanding of what was going on I had one girl who messaged me for a coffee and we met and she was like I want to do this for my career but I feel like I'm in a blocker here she then got the dream job after a few months and I was like this is this is why this is why I've got to do it it's not an ego thing it's not about building my own profile it's to help other people so from there I started writing articles on LinkedIn and then I'm not really a writer I'm not a very good speller um so that became a bit of a chore rather than a pleasure so we moved then onto podcasts and we spent a bit of time thinking of what should the podcast be called and it was actually this is where i am super honest i'm far too honest we were debating it we were thinking what should it be called and then i went for a wee and i was, <laughs> just on the toilet. I was like oh i shouldn't say this but because that's exactly what it is a female md or an md of any type shouldn't be getting on a podcast and talking about seeing a therapist um talking about imposter syndrome talking about their disastrous love life talking about the fact i had a miscarriage a couple of christmases ago and just opening up and also challenges within work life as well just making things feel normal to other people and i'm incredibly proud of it sounds good so how often do you release episodes on that how does it work well pre-lockdown <laughs> so pre-lockdown it was every week and then alongside that I've got a social media plan that goes with it so like we're doing now we're recording um I'd film it as well and then I'd put videos on LinkedIn right. as promotions for the podcast but also bits of content okay. um but then post-lockdown I'm trying to do every other week but there's been quite a lot going on in the media that yeah it hasn't felt always right to do a podcast so at the moment I'm trying to do once a fortnight mm-hmm. That's cool. That's good. I'm definitely going to go and check that out. I hadn't <laughs> Brilliant. So obviously you've now been doing lots of work on um, tackling your imposter syndrome. And then obviously you've got this great podcast. So would you, have you got a top tip around how to, how people should be dealing with it? Yeah, it's embrace it. Embrace your imposter. It means that you are pushing yourself, which means you're in growth mode. Mm-hmm. So for me, my imposter syndrome only really comes out when I feel uncomfortable with something. Um, but what I've learned from being in a company such as social chain is we're all kind of imposters. None of us fit that social norm and we can do amazing things because of that. Mm-hmm. So for me, as soon as I know that I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable, it's like understanding that, yes, no, I've got to just ignore the fact that something's making me doubt myself because I know that if I just try it, it could be great. And if it's not, I'll learn from it anyway. Um, it's hard it's not an easy thing to do it takes time but yeah you know that I know that I'm growing I've took a lot of time to sit back and learn my values as well so part the podcast the first series that I did I had quite a few guests on and the theme that really came out of it was understanding your values your personal values Mm -hmm. I'd never done that before Mm -hmm. in the 15 years that I've been working I didn't really know what it was that was the driver for me Um, I didn't sit down and figure it out and in doing that, I know that 
learning is one of my values if mm. I'm not feeling that imposter syndrome I'm not kind of learning either yeah, yeah. In that comfort zone, so that's yeah. a good way of, of thinking about it. So, yeah, so you embrace it. Embrace it. Yeah, I think it's kind of like you know, when things make you nervous or, or anxious, it's because you care and because you want to do a good job. And I think probably imposter syndrome is a, a bit similar to that in that you're only kind of, it's there because you want to be great at whatever you're doing. So yeah. in some ways it's not a bad thing, even though it doesn't yeah. feel particularly nice at, you know, when you're experiencing it. Yeah, it's horrible. It's not a nice feeling at all, but it it does, yeah. And I think just knowing that you are in that role because, so what I really had to do was look at why they put me as an MD. Yeah. My strengths that I can see is all around the caring side and the people side, and that fits with the culture of what social chain is. That doesn't automatically fit with what's in your mind as a managing director, but it actually is what makes me successful. So sit back and have a look at what it is in your personality that makes you a success in your job and really double down on that as well is probably a good tip. Mm -hmm. I like it. I think that's good. So thinking back to sort of when you started out in business in, in, in your career or even before that, did you have any role models that you looked up to and do you have any now? Mm -hmm. See, that's the other reason that I do the personal branding is because when I started out in media and marketing, it was really tough to see a vision of where I could get to. Mm -hmm. There was lots of men in senior positions and I'm, I am quite ambitious. And again, I want to learn, but I didn't really think at the time, what is it? I, want? I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> no, no idea. Um, but I knew that I kind of didn't want to go. What I saw was a pattern of, of women in the industry get into their like 40s having babies going part-time working like not working full-time but I knew that kind of wasn't for me but I couldn't really see another path so another reason that I've done the personal branding is because I'm a big believer in you can't be what you can't see yeah if I can help show that you can kind of do things as well as do your career then then great um Role models now, it's really tricky. I, I, I struggle to, to find many in my area. I think Karen Blackett has been an amazing um, sort of faraway mentor. So when I was working at Mediacom, I was very lucky to spend a bit of time with Karen. Um, she followed a similar career path to me as well which was nice so she really gave me quite a lot of tips and just watching the way that she operates so Karen is absolutely incredible and I've still not mastered this skill is when she sees people that she's met before she remembers something about you so it makes oh it's just incredible yeah. it makes you feel like they care yeah you feel a bit special feel special it's just the best and that that's one skill that I want to learn mm. I want to be better at that and that's come from her and that and just watching how she does that mm. is just it's like magic <laughs> yeah no that definitely sounds sounds a, a good one so in terms of um i guess moving on from from role models have you got a a sort of tribe of people that you surround yourself with that you get energy from that support you with with everything career related yeah i've got a really good 
support system but they're in different places so it's not like one group um my dad is absolutely amazing and he whenever I'm really struggling with something even though he has no clue what I do is my job <laughs> he, he he just really helps me so my dad um my dad my the story about my dad's quite interesting so he was a teacher but he broke his back whilst teaching and had to take early retirement and then had to change his career completely and he struggled a lot and he's a proper inspiration for me because if he can get through that sort of stuff mm. he anyone can you know so um my dad massively helps me he's he calms me down if I'm having a few struggles and then I've just got I've got people that I can trust and I think the skill of a real leader is not to flap in front of everybody yes you need to be able to have those people that you can have a bit of a flap with <laughs> but it's choosing it's choosing the right people at the at the right moment isn't it yeah 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 we talk a lot about it actually at social chain and the vibrations that you let off as a person so for me if i'm feeling stressed people will see it if i let it show so it's it's that swan mode and there's certain people that i'll just let it all out and they then help me work my way through it but I've got a great support system of friends from school um people in work it's not really business people I've not not really got a mentor either which is interesting um I've got, you like, not, no not really I've kind of like call on different people with different challenges so okay mentoring's a funny one because I think you've really got to find the person that you click with yeah and it's having the time to dedicate to it as a mentor and as a mentee it's yeah so I've not really cracked that myself interesting yeah I, I would agree with that I mean I've um when I was in my corp so I worked at John Lewis for about 12 years um after university and we were just given mentors which was quite an interesting uh, concept because how do you form a relationship with someone that you've just kind of been assigned to? And uh, there were four of us that started at the same time. And I got on really, really well with mine to the point that I'm still in touch with her today. But the others, you know, some of those relationships didn't even get off the ground because they just weren't a good match. Mm -hmm. But over the years, there's been people that I've come across at various events or um, things that I've been involved in who I've naturally just kind of bonded with on some level. And I've either as you've said, just sort of picked um, certain people out for just sort of one-off bits of advice or sort of slightly longer term things as well. But I think that, that you're right, the key has to be that you've got some sort of connection with them and that you choose them and that they've got the time to devote to it as well. Um, so yeah, that's, that's interesting, isn't it? That is interesting. Uh, okay, so Tell me a bit about your working pattern. Are you an early bird or a night owl? <laughs> neither. You're neither? Oh, so what, what do you do? Just work all the time or none of the time? <laughs> I, I really get annoyed at myself because I'd love to be an early bird and I just can't get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> it's so bad. And I'm laughing because I've really tried in lockdown and I just can't. <laughs> Well, if it's not if it's not happening, it's not happening. Is oh it? yeah, no. But you know, when you try every trick in the book to so try to be more productive in the morning, and you can't. I just can't do it. I just love my sleep. I've always loved my sleep. Do you go to bed um, late? No, you know what? I don't. You just sleep for ages. I sleep for ages. That's all right. So yeah, I, do, I love my sleep. I will 
couldn't say that I'm either an early bird or an IL. I think if I if I've got something to do, I'll get up. But also, if something really inspires me, then I can work as long as necessary. But I am quite keen on making sure I have downtime. So mm. one of the things I learned about myself when I was doing my new business role at Medicom was that the pressure and the stress if I put too much in, I get migraines yeah. and they stress migraines, but I was having them pretty much every day. Oh, um, good. Yeah. And it was, that was a massive learning curve for me because I know my limits now. Mm. So it's not that I have a set working pattern. It's all around productivity and getting as much done. So I've tried really hard to set, especially in lockdown to yeah. set myself three tasks that I do every day that I know that are on my head. So I know that I feel better than, and then it's lifted off my brain. They're usually quite big tasks, obviously, with what I do. So three is the sort of right amount for me. Um, but then that makes me feel better and I feel productive about moving forward. Mm-hmm. And then I also spend a bit of time with my emails. So my emails is like my to-do list and I file everything when I've done it. Mm-hmm. Bit of an OCD thing. Um, just It's more like... I need to just make sure that it's all done and then I can move on because otherwise it just sticks in my brain. So I just put classical music on, nice. blur that out and, sit and just do my emails and crack through them. And do you have set times with emails? Because emails, I guess, is a big time sucker for, for lots of us. And I'm, I'm probably too switched on with emails and I respond to things really quickly. And, and like you, I file things as soon as I've dealt with them or, or whatever. So, you know, I, I, I'm filled with horror when I see people with like these massive inboxes with like... Yeah, 300 unread emails it makes me feel really sick so I I can't deal with that and I have to finish each day where I see them all on one page and I've done what I can with them and I like I like to see space in my 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 inbox but um I've heard of people that you know have set times where they just look at emails so it doesn't drain away from doing your three big tasks or, or something else how what do you do with yours yeah I um I have set times in the week really so um I try and do it then and then I don't put I don't beat myself up if my inbox is a little bit bigger outside of those times I don't have notifications for my emails on my phone so I get absolutely hammered with whatsapp that's the way we communicate we've got workplace facebook workplace but also we use whatsapp as a communication tool and you should see I'm not even going to check how many notifications I get a day it's crazy. So to have emails on top of that was just stressing me out unnecessarily. And the beauty with emails. And another trick actually that I've learned is that you shouldn't apologize mm. for not replying to someone. You just kind of say, thank you for your patience. You thank someone rather than saying sorry. So if you're going through your emails and you do it at a set time and you've noticed an email you've not responded to, reply and say, thank you for your patience. This is what's been going on, but I'm back to it now. And people, you feel better because you feel like you're not apologising, you don't feel guilty. Um, And two people really respect it as well. So that's a good little tip. Uh, Saying thank you. It's it's a good task, actually, to to check yourself as to whether you're apologising too much. Um, So switch the word sorry for thank you for a week and see how how it is. It's really, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that is quite often the thing, isn't it? You always sort of apologise, sorry for the delay in coming back to you. When it's been like a day, and that's not ages anyway. I mean, I have this kind of internal thing where I like to respond to emails within within a business day. 
Um, so, you know, I won't reply to things on the weekend. I will, I will wait, but it, but it will be within a business day. And then if I fall outside of that, I'm kind of feeling really like, oh, I should have got back to them. They're going to think I've been sat doing nothing or it's just crazy, really, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. So, yeah, an interesting one, I think. So um, let me see what else I'm going to ask you about. Let's talk about work-life balance. So in the book, my view is, and it's my view outside of the book, it's just my view on work-life balance, is that it's, it doesn't exist. So you read about all this, we can have it all and all this sort of stuff. And I just, I just don't think that's the case. I think that there's certain things that you can prioritize at certain points. So you can have family as the priority at one point or work or whatever, or a couple of them, but you can't have everything at the same time. What do you think? I completely agree. So I've got a very good friend, Fionn, who um, is kind of a mentor, but more of a friend, I guess. Um, and we worked together for a long time. She always says to me, it's a work-life blend. Mm. And it's having the blend rather than the balance. Because if you've got a balance, something will more naturally be out of tilt. And I'm, that's brilliant. Um, so yeah, I'm the same. I like to have time that I know that I'm taking time off, especially at the moment with your screens, like you need to, because otherwise you just end up fatigued. Mm -hmm. um, but also making sure you're giving your mind a rest because there's a big thing in creativity. And if you're constantly on and you're constantly working, you're not able to be creative. And especially in a leadership role where you need to take a step back, look at things from more of a helicopter view. I need that downtime because that's usually when the best ideas spark. Just like that subconscious brain needs time to work its magic. And it's not going to do that if you're constantly putting into your conscious brain. So for me, I try and give myself a good blend of downtime as well as because I feel refreshed and energized and I know that I am more productive in my work time if I have a good amount of off time as well yeah I think that's that's really important and sometimes you kind of beat yourself up about it and feel like you should be you know doing these ridiculous hours and ridiculously long days all the time but it, it is counterproductive and I think um you know you're you're absolutely right with that whenever I have a break like often when I'm on holiday although holidays seem like a thing of the past right now but you know when I'm on holiday I'm very disciplined around not checking emails and, and stuff like that I haven't always been it's taken me quite a while to learn to do that but once you kind of out of the, the workplace and and you do get that chance to just think about things and like you say you have your best ideas you feel more refreshed you're choosing hopefully to think to think about those things in your own space and I think if you love what you do for me that's not a chore anyway um but yeah you, you've got to have that time haven't you you've, you've just yeah. it. and I think it's hard at the moment because at the time today where, when we're recording you know we're still in some kind of lockdown and we're working from home and I think I don't know about you but I, I, I'm finding it hard to stay disciplined and have set work days and not let things blend into each other I'm often find, I mean I'm, I'm an early bird so I get it really early like I'm up at five every day just boom away yes. I know and when I just wake up at that time I haven't set the alarm for like all year I just wake up and, and I'm ready to go but the downside of that is I get really tired in the evenings and then because I end up working quite a long day by the time I'm sort of switching off I'm so tired that I can't be bothered to do anything and that's that's not great uh, yeah it, it's, it's it's about knowing yourself and also mm -hmm. the thing that helps me switch off is being 
like controlling my workload. So if I know that I'm on top of everything, so by setting those three tasks a day, I know that I'm on top of my workload. I think it's when I think when I feel out of control and it's in someone else's hands and I'm being chased for something that I've not done because I know that I've not done it, but I've also not updated that person or I've not got back to someone. That's when I lose my balance. Yeah, so it's that's the way. So if I'm in control and know that I've ticked off everything that I needed to do that day or that week I can completely switch off and I'm really good at being able to like five o'clock on a Friday half five on a Friday that's it I'm done and I don't think about stuff till on Monday Mm. Um, but that's because I know I've done everything that I need to do so I think it's all about setting your priorities knowing what it is that's going to help you feel comfortable in your off time Mm. Um, I know I'm also trying to encourage a lot of the people in work right now to say no to things I think we've become a little bit guilty of saying yes because we want to help other people out and then clients sometimes can take a little bit of advantage of that or expect that it happens every time so I'm trying at the minute to encourage the team the power of saying no and the benefit of what you get longer term and the the benefit the way it works longer term Mm -hmm. interesting so given kind of your job role and, and what you guys are known for and stuff, um, I'm going to ask you one of my questions around social media in particular, because you've, you've referred to a couple of things. What, what's your platform of choice for work on social media? Instagram or? No, well, it's LinkedIn. So my, my biggest um, following, I'd say, is on LinkedIn. But I also use Twitter and Instagram. So each platform I use for different reasons with the podcast and the content that I put out there being a mixture of personal and work, I tend to split the content onto different platforms. So LinkedIn, I put more business updates and social media updates and also leadership things. And then Instagram, I'll focus more on the leadership side, but also the personal side as well. And then Twitter is just a bit of a mixture. Okay. And have you got any tips to give around how to use social media well for work? Yeah, I think it's all around finding your why and understanding what your difference is and why people would want to follow you. And it's consistency as well. But in order to get to that consistency, you've got to have something that you're passionate about. Mm. For me, I learned that writing the articles, yes, it was getting a good response from people. But I actually found it more of a chore, which meant that the consistency wasn't there. So you've got to find something, a topic that you're really interested in, um, something that people find useful because that's how you get your following. And also something that you can be consistent with because you enjoy doing it. Yeah. So for you then, social media for work is used as part of your personal brand? Yeah, it's my personal brand for work. um, And then I use, so then we can... It helps build my profile, which helps build the agency's profile as like a thought leader within the space. Got it. Cool. That's interesting. Good. Um, so thinking about, you know, your career so far, you've had, you've clearly had some, some great successes and the fact that, you know, you were uh, promoted within six months in, in your current organization. What's, what's next for you? What's, what's on your list? What are your ambitions? really bad but I don't I don't know I really don't know I don't really it's crazy I've never as I say even when I was younger I never knew what I wanted to be 
So with, with your previous sort of promotions and the way you've progressed in your career, did you, did you set yourself goals for, for any of that? Did it just happen to you or? It just happened because I followed my values. Now I know that I followed my values. So in following the fact that I wanted to learn more meant that I then was promoted. But I am quite ambitious mm. and competitive, which is probably why. Um, yeah, it just kind of happened. It's been, I say that, and that's probably doing myself a bit of a disservice, but it it's kind of just happened naturally with me doing a job that I enjoy. So if you taking opportunities that have presented themselves because you've been good at what you do, that's that's what I reckon. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when you've had those successes and you've been promoted and things, do you stop and celebrate or congratulate yourself in any way? I always buy myself something. Yeah. So if I get promoted, I buy myself one treat. So I bought myself a leather jacket from All Saints, which was horrendous when I moved one job. Um, my latest one, I saved up. When I got promoted to MD, I saved up and I bought myself a Burberry Mac. Nice. My, like, I, don't, I love nice things. I'm not ridiculous in terms of spending, but if I can treat myself, and it's something that I can keep for a long time. It's lovely that you've linked it to something as well, though. Like, that's really nice that you say, well, you know, got promoted to MJ, so I bought myself this, because then that, that's got really positive memories and there's, there's a lot of value in that rather than you just fancied it. I think that's... Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I will, that's what I always think. Like, I need to take a step back and really think about the achievements that I've made because it, it is quite crazy. Um, I'm, I'm only 36, so I don't really know what the future's going to hold, you know. I've started doing a bit of non-exec director work, um, and that's something that I really want to pursue more of because it helps me, it kind of helps me with my imposter syndrome in a weird way. Because people asking me for my advice on stuff that I'm doing now validates the fact that I do know what I'm doing. It's a really weird way of thinking about it, but... No, yeah. I think that makes total sense because sometimes you kind of think you're at whatever level and then actually having that contact with people in a different setting kind of reminds you, actually, I know a lot about this. So yeah. I, I get that. That's yeah. So yeah, that's what I want to do more of is just making sure I can help people, making sure that the, the podcast and the personal branding just helps as many people as possible yeah. and learn, just keep learning really. Yeah, no, that all sounds that all sounds really good. Keep learning, I like it. So um, we've covered quite a bit actually, which is fantastic. So let's finish on one key piece of advice that you've received, which has served you well, and you'd like to pass on. I think I think my big one would be don't be afraid to fail, and I think it's really hard um, to get your head into that but I have made the biggest movements forward in my development when I've made a mistake. Mm. So I think for me, I've made errors. Everyone's going to make mistakes, but it's how you learn from those and make sure you don't do them again. Mm -hmm. um, and that for me has probably been my biggest career learning. Mm. I was so frightened. I think at school, and the whole education system, you're taught to pass things. And you're, it's like you're ingrained with this fear of failing. Mm. If you fail this exam, you're not going to do this. And if you do that, and 
and there's been certain moments where I've not done as well as I planned or I've made a mistake and they're the moments that I've had the biggest growth so um don't it's and there's someone at my work and whenever we don't win a pitch we don't say we don't win it we haven't won a pitch we say lessons not losses nice and I think that for me is probably one of the biggest career tips that I can tell anyone is don't be afraid and just think, don't do it again yeah. if you've made it once learn yeah. from it if you do it again you've not learned absolutely and I think it's really important that um, younger people in particular know that it is okay to make mistakes because I think like you say you've got this kind of hangover from school and education that oh it's really bad to make a mistake but actually once you've been in business for a few years like you say you realize that a lot of the learning comes from that and actually the more senior you get I think it's easier to admit to mistakes because you're then responsible for for, for you know resolving them or, or whatever and you just get a bit more comfortable in your own skin anyway and I think you you realize that actually it's not you know unless you're in something like medicine where it's literally life and death which yeah. you definitely wouldn't want to be making mistakes but I think in business actually like you say yeah you, le you learn from that so I think it's I guess pu pulling from what you've said there for, for people that are starting out in their careers it's ad admitting to those things because I'm thinking back to when I started out in my career and I'm sure I made loads of mistakes and I can't even remember what they were now so clearly they weren't that important but I'm sure I made them and I, I can just sort of remember feeling really anxious about things at work and going home on an evening and thinking oh my god I shouldn't have done that or I shouldn't have said this to this person and kind of worrying about things but actually if you just deal with it acknowledge it learn from it and move on that's it really isn't it yeah I think that it's, it's really important and ask for feedback as well that's probably a really good tip because I think we're scared in the same vein we're scared to hear negative feedback but yeah. again that's how you develop and you get to the point where you want to get to what your goals you want to achieve is by understanding what you need to develop in so if you think of feedback as a development point rather than someone just not being nice to you which is how it feels yeah it's, it's yeah. constructive isn't it I'm not, I, even I'm not there I don't like feedback yeah it's, well, it's hard, but. yeah and feedback tends to be a bit balanced you know, it's unusual someone would just tell you all the bad stuff and hopefully it's delivered in a way that is is constructive and someone once told me that feedback's a gift and you can choose whether you accept it because quite often it's someone's view so you might not totally agree with it, but you can pull bits out of it that you feel are relevant and then, and then act on that. But you're right. I mean, we do, in our business, we do a lot of work to help students secure graduate jobs, help to prepare them for jobs. And we always say to them, you know, if you failed at an assessment center or an interview, you must ask for the feedback. And they don't want to because they've, you know, they've been unsuccessful and it's like rubbing salt in the wound, so to speak, because they're then finding out exactly what they did wrong. But actually often, it's just something really small. And if they work on that, they'll get the job next time. So yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. So asking for feedback and learning from mistakes is all. I was on a really good training course last week. I don't know if you've heard of Amazing If. They've wrote a book, Squiggly Careers. Yeah, uh, of that. Yeah, so it's two ladies, Helen, and I don't, I'm not sure the other lady's name. Um, but they, Helen did us a training course last week about growth mindset and she had about feedback. Um, and if you think if you're in, it's, it's all about your mindset and control of it as well. Mm. So if you're in control of asking for feedback around goals that you want to achieve. So if you say to someone, I'm trying to achieve this, please may have some feedback so I can get there. 
I, well, as soon as she said that, I was like, that makes a hell of a lot of sense because that is matching and it helps me get to where I'm trying to get to rather than it just being unsolicited feedback that you didn't ask for that makes you feel like you're getting attacked. This is your in control of feedback mm. view of getting to where you want to get to. Yeah, it's almost detaching yourself from it because feedback does feel personal. Yeah, it is. But then in this scenario, it's about your you know how your behavior at work so it's, it's personal but not <laughs> so if yeah. you can attach yourself a bit you can be more pragmatic about receiving that and then acting upon it i think so great okay well thank you very much katie i hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode of the ambition accelerator as much as i enjoyed recording it If this was your first experience of tuning in, go back and listen to previous episodes as there are some brilliant ones. Please do go and check those out. Hope to catch you next time. 